Welcome to the Media Capital Show. I'm your host, Diana Florescu. Join me and some of the greatest media capital investors and startup founders as we dive into what happens in the media for equity space, why it matters now, and how you can keep up. Media Capital is a media for growth production, a media for equity advisory firm, and global network of investors specialized in media capital fundraising. Make sure you subscribe to the Media for Growth newsletter to get all the insights from our latest episodes. Thank you for listening. From an investor perspective, um, ultimately, by matching what the startups spend in media with us, then we make their investment go further. So that's it in its purest sense, really. If a, if a VC is investing into a startup and a large percentage of their investment is going on marketing spend for that startup, we'll make that spend go a lot further and we'll make that spend work harder. On today's episode of Media Capital, I'm joined by JC Deco's nurture team in the UK, Joe and Connie. JC Deco is a global industry leader in out-of-home advertising. Their startup program called Nurture provides young brands with advertising match funding, data, mentorship, and more to accelerate their growth, basically bridging startups' advertising and skills gap. Today's topic is a perfect example of how diverse and nuanced the media capital landscape is, and there's no one size fits all when it comes to supporting digital innovators. If you're a media partner, a consumer VC, or a late stage startup founder, this session is for you. So Joe, why don't we start with you? Nurture has been around for, for years, right? It's present across so many different countries and continents, and your team has been working with hundreds of startups already in the UK. For anyone that hasn't heard of Nurture before, can you tell us a bit more about the program and how you partner with these companies? Sure. So Nurture is our referral-led startup and scale-up program, JC Deco. JC Deco are the world's largest outdoor advertising company. So we have billboards and digital screens in cities in over 80 countries around the world. But as I say, Nurture is our referral-led startup program. It's a program we launched in the UK six years ago. And we launched it for many reasons, really. Like the main ones were that back in 2015, what we were beginning to see was lots and lots of startups show an appetite to want to use out-of-home advertising to build their brands, but they often lack the resource to get the most from it it can deliver. So there were lots of startups wanting to use it, but they weren't necessarily getting it right, precisely when they can't afford to get it wrong. And then at the same time, what was happening was companies like Deliveroo and Zoopla were coming into the mix and suddenly spending millions of pounds on, on things like outdoor advertising. But they'd only been around for a few years. You know, we'd, we'd only just about heard of them. And so we wanted to find a way to work with the Zooplas and Deliveroos of tomorrow, but at a much earlier stage to make sure that they get the most from outdoor advertising and to make sure that it works as hard as it can for much earlier stage businesses. And I guess the other thing, just to add on that, the other reason we really wanted to, to sort of get our solution right when it comes to supporting startups is that whilst JC is in over 80 markets now, we remain a family-run business. So we were founded by Jean-Claude Decaux, hence the name, but when he was just 18 years old and his parents owned a shoe shop, they began to put up posters around, he, sorry, they left him in charge for a couple of weeks and he began to put up posters around the town where the shoe shop was to try and drive football to store. And it worked so well that he began to do so at scale until it was the French authorities made it illegal to do so. But like any good entrepreneur, undeterred, like this prompted him to invent the first ever bus shelter. 
And the concept was simple. He would build bus shelters, keep citizens dry for the right to be able to advertise to them. And the JCDCO business model, which still operates today, was born. So the reason I say all of that is because really one of the main reasons we created Nurture was to reflect this entrepreneurial DNA and give back to early stage businesses. Yeah, and I mean, it sounds like setting up an internal program like Nurture does require, you know, just significant change in mindset from, uh, I guess, operating the, as a core, you know, core business or your core business model. Do you think that such an initiative is for every company? I, I, don't know, I personally haven't seen or haven't heard of other digital out of home companies doing this. And um, I'm curious what you think and why don't we see, for example, other companies potentially doing this or kind of dipping their toe in the world of venture? I mean, surely it can't be easy. I don't think it's easy. It's definitely not with it, without its challenges, but it has been a rewarding journey so far. You know, we've worked with over 300 startups from all sorts of sectors and, and, and different stages as well. But I think that actually you will begin to see more and more media companies across all channels considering what is their startup solution? How do they begin to work with earlier stage businesses in a more meaningful way? Um, I think that, you know, as we sort of enter a recession or a potential recession, whatever you want to call it, um, it's always an opportunity when actually more startups are built than ever. And so I think that actually more companies, you know, across the media landscape are considering what is their solution to work with, as I say, the deliveries, the Zooplas, the Ubers of tomorrow. So I think there will be more. And I think that there have been others that have sort of trialed it as well. But for me, I guess the key to the success of Nurture has been that we have put the needs of the startups first. Um, and that's how we've sort of built the program ground up. We consulted founders and CMOs. I myself worked at startups to figure out what can we do that actually makes a difference. Sure. And going back to um, what you just said, Joe, and maybe Connie can you can help us here as well. What does that process actually looks like? Where, where do you start? Because I remember we talked about this, but a lot of the digital startups, although I think we're seeing a lot more these days, um, you know, giving both out of home but other more traditional channels a try. But, you know, historically, that wasn't necessarily the case. I think um, there is a bit of education to be done. Um, so where do you actually start and how that, you know, what that process looks like from uh, an initial meeting all the way to negotiating the campaign, potentially booking it and kind of seeing the rewards after that? Yeah, I mean, maybe to first touch on who we work with um, and then going more into detail what we do with Nurture, you know, who we work no. with is super broad, but... Joe touched on the fact that most of the startups and scale-ups we work with come through referrals. Um, so often those referrals come through VCs, through our partner network, or through founders we work with. And why that is so important, that I guess at that point, they somewhat have been vetted firstly by someone else. So of course, if a VC invests in a startup, um, usually it means they've done a lot of due diligence. So in a way, we don't need to do it anymore. But secondly, what's super important is that those startups and scale-ups already have product market fit. They've probably already done a lot of digital marketing. They tested a few different creatives on the social. They got to know the audience and they now want to look at um, really changing up their marketing mix and maybe testing above the line for the first time ever. Um, so the program that we've come up with really super educational, but most importantly built on the feedback that we got from these companies who are at the right stage of testing above the line. 
and right stage can mean very different things to different brands. So we work with anything from kind of seed stage to post series B um, and across a lot of different sectors. So we do a lot with tech and fintech, um, but also with a lot of FMCG brands and then all the way to kind of B2B business. So it's super broad. Who it is that we're able to support through the program. I don't know if you want to just go into a bit of, you know, an overview of how we actually help the companies on a practical level, Connie. Yeah, so very concretely, once they come to us, firstly to say it's very, um, I guess, casual in the conversations we're having, it's really about figuring out, is that the right thing to do for the brand? So we want to work with the right brands at the right time. Concretely, we offer um, support in four ways. The first one is actually with the creative. So I think we really realized how important the creative is for a successful campaign. So we offer a lot of guidance on how to do creative for out of home, but we also offer access to a very specific tool that we develop called the visual measurement tool, which allows companies to run several different creatives through this tool, which is designed to look at where people's attention would land if it was a billboard in the real world. So it's all about optimizing that creative to grab attention um, if it was to be a, a real campaign. And then secondly, it's all about planning, insight, and data. So obviously it's JCDCO globally. Joe mentioned, you know, we're a huge global company. We've bought into a lot of data sets, um, both general data sets to understand how people behave, where they live, where they work, and then very specific data sets um, that allow us to plan for out of home. And we give all the startups and scale-ups who work with access to those data sets to make sure that we plan really audience-driven campaigns, of course, alongside the data that the startup might have of its existing customers. And then thirdly, we investment match. So it's one of the biggest part of, of the program, slightly different to Media for Equity as we double whatever a startup spends in media with us. And crucially, we do so without taking equity. And the reason for that really being is that we see the value in working with startups and scale-ups in the long term that we hope it gives them a chance to invest in out of home for the first time, maybe do a test, learn from the medium, see how it works for the brand, and then scale um, over years to come. And we do that for 12 months of working with a startup. And then very lastly, the fourth pillar um, is really referrals to our ecosystem. So of course, over the years, we built a really strong ecosystem of VCs, we mentioned other ways um, of funding, as well as partners with office space, um, data, so really varied network. And the whole idea is to, to make introductions to add value wherever we can to the, to the startups as well. Yeah, I mean, I think the program itself, it's a great ecosystem partner for, especially for consumer VCs. And um, I, again, I remember we talked about this. I think this type of investors in particular, it's quite a rare breed across both UK and, and Europe. <laughs> when it comes to funding and when we look at later stage companies even more so why do you think or what could actually nurture bring for example to investors or to a vc um a lot of the people listening in are probably running their own fund or obviously looking at supporting their companies in their portfolio in the best way possible what are the sort of like tangible things you've seen from running campaigns in the past that really helped these companies and obviously implicitly their investors so i think I think from an investor perspective, ultimately, by matching what the startups spend in media with us, then we make their investment go further. So that's it in its purest sense, really. If a, if a VC is investing 
into a startup and a large percentage of their investment is going on marketing spend for that startup will make that spend go a lot further and will make that spend work harder. I guess taking it a step further, so we have a relationship with over 40 VCs in the UK that have referred at least one, of the, one or two of their portfolio through to Nurture. Some have referred many more. But the ones which we have a really close working relationship with, then we've hosted portfolio days alongside other media owners, for example, to really sort of take that education first approach to make sure that the marketing teams or the founding teams within their portfolio are really well versed as to what to look out for when they begin exploring above the line marketing. So that's sort of how we can work with VCs. And in turn as well, actually, we've helped VCs with their own deal flow because we're exposed to really promising startups and scale-ups every single week. And so we refer them back through to our network of VCs when they're looking for investment. So the whole thing with VCs is sort of this reciprocal circle of referrals, really. Um, and then I guess on the on the startup side, perhaps we share a few examples of, of tangible results we've seen. But I guess from a, from an FMCG perspective, um, a good brand to to sort of that's been on a brilliant journey. So it would be someone like Minor Figures, the oat milk brand. We've worked with them from when they were a much smaller business. Um, we worked with them just as the first lockdown was easing, and we did a small scale test in Hackney as they pivoted their business and actually built a D2C side to their business to, to deal with you know, the challenges of lockdown. And they saw a threefold increase in web traffic um, during their campaign and their rate of sale in retail more than doubled. So that would be an example, I guess, on the FMCG side. Um, I guess more on the tech side, companies like Wheezy, uh, you know, in fact, Wheezy is a really good example where we work with them, the delivery app. Uh, we worked with them when they were a team of about five people. Uh, they were a tiny business at the time. They ran on 10 posters in like Fulham area where, where their office was based. They were so small, in fact, that one of the team of five featured as the, the I guess, the main character in the poster itself, holding a bag of groceries. But I love the example of Wheezy because we worked with them from this point to when they were acquired by Gatir and running national campaigns with us before that acquisition. And, you know, I know that Gatir was valued back in Jan at like 12 billion pounds, I think it was, not even dollars. So, I mean, that just shows the journey that, that Wheezy have been on, but it was great to work with them from that, that very beginning stage and to sort of see some of the results that we were able to achieve for them. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose what Nurture does for startups is basically wrapping up exactly like you put it brilliantly for both investors and companies. Um, it's almost like lowers the barrier of entry to a channel that might be perceived at high risk, if you like, compared to a digital channel where you can just go and probably spend I don't know, 200 bucks and just give it a try and test it quickly. Here, obviously, we're talking about slightly different budgets um, and it lowers that barrier of entry it almost starts like a test bed and then could evolve into something greater like you just explained joe but for investors as well when we're looking at the kind of companies that probably give digital out of home a try they are probably more of a late seed serious a stage as as also connie explained mm -hmm. and these are companies that start spending a lot on marketing and advertising so it almost feels like, again, Nurture is addressing that part of the funding gap uh, in the market where they could go probably and raise that money from investors or they could just go basically to Nurture, 
the a match funding intentionally use the funds from an investor for operations or extending runway or for other for other costs essentially right so it's it's optimizing both the VC and the startup um, kind of journey, if you like. Um, mm-hmm. And going back to examples of companies that you work with, um, so you, you gave those two examples. I think there are more consumer-facing uh, companies. Are there any other examples of less typical founders or business models or industries that you work with and you felt like you worked particularly well for them? Yeah, I got a good example for a B2B company. So generally speaking, Out of Home was mainly used by direct-to-consumer brands. So that's who, when we started Nurture, I think worked with a lot. But really over the last probably 12 to 18 months or so, we've seen a huge increase of B2B companies who are starting to do Out of Home or above the line in general. And one that we've now worked with for three years in Nurture is Superscript. So Superscript is a B2B insurance business that offer flexible insurance, mainly to SMEs in the UK. And what they've really realized is, one, of course, Out of Home was all about driving brand awareness, ad awareness, and consideration. Really, what it also drives is their online channels. So they use their Out of Home with quite a bold creative And it's all about trying to get customers curious about the brand. And then at the same time, they normally run a digital campaign that gives more information about the product. Because especially something like insurance, of course, there's quite a bit of consideration involved. Having the two channels combined, they see really great results and they keep coming back to out of home as well. How do you approach a company? How do you know, for example, how much a startup should be spending on a specific campaign? And how do you price essentially that media value? Perhaps, I mean... Feel free, I mean, both of you to, to jump in and sure. complement each other, I guess, if you like. I, I think in terms of how we approach them, as Connie mentioned, like the vast majority of the companies that we work with, almost all of them come by referral. And the vast majority of referrals come from either VCs or other founders that we have already worked with. Um, so normally we are approached. It is normally that way around and in terms of how we figure out what the right solution is for their business it's entirely bespoke and one-to-one it's definitely not a one-size-fits-all approach you know we, we really try and get under the skin of you know where is the business at right now where do they need to get to and what role should marketing play within that and then what we will advise them on is a realistic level of spend marketing spend that they need to put behind any given campaign which we will then match but in order to achieve what they need to achieve and how we come up with what that spend level is is really based on experience so as i said you know we work with over 300 startups now so we've got much much better at understanding how we plan startup focused campaigns and to be honest that's been a real journey for us from the very beginning stages when we just wanted to work with everyone and try and help everyone regardless of budget. But actually, we didn't know ourselves, you know, that that maybe a £5,000 investment wasn't enough, even with us doubling it, to produce a return and what sites would make sense and where and why. Whereas we've got much better at that. And really, it's experience that has enabled us to do that and planning campaigns with measurement in mind as well. So we're able to plan campaigns in such a way that it's much easier to measure them um, so we can test and learn and scale with our approach. So it much more closely mirrors, I guess, like what 
growth teams would do on you know pure performance channels is there such thing as a minimum threshold when it comes to budget and i guess similarly what would be the maximum amount of you know budget that you could allocate to a, to a campaign is is there such thing as I guess, the ticket size, if you like. Yeah, I mean, really, we see sort of me. Firstly, it does depend on what the objectives are. It really does, because you can do something clever and tactical that costs a few thousand pounds. You know, it could be a handful of locations directly outside, you know, someone that could be your biggest customer. You know, I often use the example of Welling Garden City train station is where Tesco head office is. So if you're a new food brand that's desperate to get stocked at Tesco, you could take a handful of sites at that station and that's going to cost very, very little. But in terms of a brand awareness driving campaign, you know, sort of pure standard sort of use case for out of home, then you're looking at an investment of sort of 20K plus somewhere in that region, which we would then match. And then in terms of maximum, fortunately, we haven't hit that point yet. You know, I, th- I think that we're, we're pushing on it with some businesses, which is brilliant, but... Ultimately, if we um, see the long-term benefit in supporting a business through all of the the value that Connie mentioned that we provide through Nurture, if we really believe that they're going to make it big globally, then we're prepared to match whatever they spend with us in that first 12-month period. So there is no maximum. Yeah, maybe to add to that, Joe, I think one, and we have some really nice examples for this, is some brands doing a smaller city test first, you know, to test with a slightly smaller budget. Joe had brilliant client, Butternut Box, running slightly smaller campaigns first outside of London, measuring the results with brand tracking and then running a larger scale campaign in London later on with more budget. So I think that's a really good approach for startups to take. And the second, what we see more brands doing, especially this year as well, is thinking a little bit more long-term. So maybe after that initial test, you know, think of building your brand as more than one, two-week or four-week campaign. It's really that yearly plan. How does it tie in with all your other marketing? Um, Is there maybe going to be three or four bursts throughout the year? Um, And then that allows not only for smart planning and building your brand, but also helps with with the budgeting if you're buying kind of bigger volume. Yeah. And I, I, I guess, are there any specific channels you've seen? I mean, you work with so many different brands and some of them came referred by VCs. Obviously, media for equity funds, um, some of them do have partners that work in digital out of home or some we consider perhaps looking into this, you know, this channel. Are there any specific channels you've seen that work just far greater when combined with digital out of home or in fact the other way around? And also, are there any, I guess, immediate sort of implications or impacts on the digital spend? Um, For example, like, you know, we've seen with TV, sometimes it actually could lead to optimization of cost on digital spend. Mm -hmm. So I think that on the, in terms of the channels that work especially well together, I mean, all all media channels are complementary, right? In an ideal world, you'd be running a 360 campaign across all channels all the time. But I guess a a few sort of examples that we see work especially well time and time again, mobile and out of home. So we, we refer, we often refer to mobile as the private screen and out of home as the public screen. Um, And the beauty of digital out of home in particular is that we're able to ensure that you display your advert on the public screen when people are spending more time out of home. 
And in turn, you can optimize your mobile campaign when people are consuming more mobile. And so what that enables you to do, but really simply is just ensure that you're always, you know, displaying on the optimum channel to reach your customer at the right time, at the right place with a relevant message. So the synergy between the two is, is mega. And so we're seeing the two planned in a smart, smart way increasingly now where people are really sort of making the most of the flexibility that digital out of home provides. But TV and out of home as well, you know, they've always worked extremely well together. Again, I guess similarly, actually, when you're watching TV, you're at home, aren't you? Whereas, you know, with the out of home, that's when you're when you're outdoors. Um, so the two work extremely well together and and they always sort of, I guess, produce incremental results when working together as opposed to in silos. Yeah, maybe yeah. one thing to add again on the kind of the two having the two screens, we've done a lot of research of how seeing out of home first affects the time you look at an ad on your mobile phone. So very interestingly, it also normally means that people who've seen your brand on out of home already, and then you retarget them on their social media, for example, they just pay more attention. So they look at your ad for longer. And of course, that then translates into, you know, increased brand awareness and consideration, etc. So it's a really powerful tool to combine both both those. Yeah, it's the, it's the priming capabilities of out of home. You know, it, it does exactly as Connie said, it makes you engage with anything that you see on another channel more. Um, and you've been primed, whether it's consciously or subconsciously because of the out of home you've been exposed to yeah i was about to say it sounds like it was almost like subliminal in people's minds um and then it kind of come back at the right time it's the same with tv i think everyone is on their phone and um i, I remember just coming up on a research studies a few years back um just uh everyone was essentially freaking out that nobody's gonna pay attention to tv ads uh because they're on their phone all the time in fact, actually what it does is just perfect because you've got this amazing tool in your hand. You can immediately just search for the brand or be responsive to what you're hearing, right? Um, so, it, which is, is essentially what you what you just described with digital out of home and mobile as well. Um, are there any industries that you don't necessarily look at or you feel like it wouldn't necessarily work for, for out of home or you haven't, for example, in, not invested directly, but have gone through the nurture program just yet? Yeah, I think, um, you know, from my perspective, um, it, out of home works when you're trying to target lots of people, basically. So if it's B2B, it works if you're targeting freelancers or startups or SMEs, but it doesn't really work if you're targeting enterprise. So we wouldn't go... Uh, you know, we wouldn't recommend out of home for B2B companies that are targeting enterprises, potential customers. It just doesn't really make sense. Um, and then it also, you know, the key thing that we look for is companies that are really, really scalable. Um, you know, we support startups, but not local SMEs. We're looking for startups that, that are at that inflection point. They're either startups or they're already scale ups, but they're going to go national and, and international quite quickly. Um, as opposed to, you know, local SMEs that, that might open a branch of whatever it is in one specific town. That's not, you know, the type of company we're looking to support. Right. I mean, you, you mentioned the, the national international approach, actually, and uh, this is quite interesting because Nurture is present in, in many countries right now. Have you, was there an example where you've done 
uh, a cross-country campaign or uh, so, and if that is, I'm curious, you know, how that actually went. But also, um, if there's a company that would fit, let's say, um, I don't know, the, the French market better or other markets, um, how is that? How is that synergy between your teams, essentially? Um, how does it work or how, what it happens? Do you just refer the company to the, your local team and vice versa? Yeah, so, um, I mean, Nurture's live in 12 markets now across three continents. Um, and we have a lead in each market, uh, a local lead operating each market and leading each market. And so if ever a client wants to go live in another market, then we would refer them to the lead in that market. Um, but also we ensure that if it's a multi-market campaign, and we have numerous examples of, of multi-market campaigns, then we're all planning in a cohesive way um, such that, you know, the plan uh, and the campaign in the UK supports the campaign and the strategy in France and Germany and the US, wherever else. But Connie, I don't know if you want to give a couple of examples of, of international of those, campaigns. Yeah. yeah, I think there's two very good examples. One was in Europe. And that was Ecosia. So it's a search engine that plants trees. So every time you search the internet, trees get planted automatically. Um, and we ran a campaign with them in the UK, France, Germany, and the Netherlands. And that was exactly that. We had one contact at Ecosia um, and kind of through, through me and then the local contact, we pulled that campaign together. And interestingly, on a point that we mentioned earlier, it wasn't just a multi-market campaign. It was also multi-channel, not just digitally, but also TV. And we've done a lot of research how out-of-home and TV work together. And actually, the result was that if you have both together, it's really powerful and you have greater results than if you just run either TV or either out of home. Um, and another one was Ubo. Um, we ran a campaign with them in the UK, Australia and the US. And they're a social media app for teenagers. Um, and they did some really, you know, smart campaigns, I think, in, in all of the markets, both in terms of targeting um those students where they are, so in proximity to schools and colleges, um, and then also targeting those at certain times of the day. So largely, you know, the beginning of the day and the end of the day when kids go into school or leave school. Um, and we did that again in all, on those three markets. Interesting. And I, I mean, I suppose um, I've seen these examples on the media for equity side of things, but um, even if the campaign happens, for example, in the UK, but the company is headquartered in a different country, um, we've seen it in, in other examples that, in fact, it impacts as well, um, you know, the performance in that local market, although the campaign was not actually performed in that market. Um, it was an example of a marketplace which actually ran a media frequency campaign in Spain, although they were headquartered in France. And what that really, um, what that campaign actually did, in fact, was just it helped with the search engine and optimize that search and the position in search. And they've seen that uplift as well in France, although they essentially didn't run that campaign. Um, I don't know if you have received any feedback from founders um, as something similar along these lines, perhaps. Yeah, I think I think what we definitely see. Um, I think you you touched on it earlier actually when you mentioned that nurture sort of removes the barrier to entry um, and it makes out of home more testable, more scalable, and more 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 trialable really. So. What we've seen and, and heard as feedback from founders, and normally what we see is that they will test a market first. Um, and I guess the way in which we plan and advise on testing enables them to rigorously rigorously test and understand 
the role that out of home plays in one market first and then scale that um, approach internationally. I can't think of any examples ex that exactly relate to what you've just just touched on there in the same way. Um, I don't know whether think, you can, Colin. Yeah. I think more than a lot of the campaigns do go viral online. So mm. it's true that sometimes we have an effect that is not just visible in whichever city or country we've gone live in, but because a lot of times now campaigns are taken, amazing images are taken, and they're put on LinkedIn and social media that it then spread, you know, much bigger um, than just the campaign. And again, we have loads of examples of that recently. I think Otter is maybe one that people would have seen online. Um, and I'm speaking a lot about, you know, salary transparency. One of those, I don't know, Joe, if you remember, but I think it had, you know, it's tens like of thousands of links. on. Yeah, I think it was 100,000 like shares or something. It was massive. Like we are, yeah. yeah, you're absolutely right. That's a good point. We're seeing like more campaigns than ever go viral. I think that's one of the... That's one of the unique points with Out of Home really is its real world presence and the cut through and standout that it provides brands as a result of that. You know, it really is arresting when you see good artwork in the real world. Um, and so like founders and founding teams and startup teams are often really proud when they see their business in the real world for the very first time, take photos, share it, yeah. but particularly when there's a, a provocative message you know and a message yeah. that really means something behind the campaign we're seeing campaigns go viral time and time again because you know it's i think it's the best channel when it comes to sort of really making your voice as a brand heard and sort of standing for something so yeah it's a really good point like we're, yeah. we're definitely seeing more of that now and those results i think sometimes are super surprising so some of the brands you know going viral can mean so many things but for some, it meant starting conversations with grocers that they maybe want to be stocked in. Yeah. For some, you know, media picked it up, so they ended up being on Sky News and talking about the campaign. Um, for some, it's a meeting with an investor who maybe seen it and then got in touch. So, of course, we don't plan those campaigns for that. We plan them for the campaign objective, whatever that might be. But it's amazing when we kind of see those added results, I guess, that just happen because out of home is everywhere and you never know who sees it and those people will work in different places and conversations happen so it's brilliant yeah, that, when it does i mean I've, I've got the same feedback from from founders where um they either use out of home and use tv but essentially channels that you know they are aimed for mass market reach and mm. so many times they've had their investors seeing that brand well maybe not investors at the time but future investors and it just helps cement and creates an authority around that brand uh, before you even start a conversation with your potential next partner or investor, right? And I think what you said about creatives, I, I mean, I know we'll touch on this probably later, but um, the use of AI these days and making those creatives, you know, potentially 3D, I mean, we've seen those in London, right, in the likes of Piccadilly Circus, it's just absolutely impressive. Um, and it's just beautiful to watch, really. So, um, I mean, there's no, obviously, there's no doubt why they go viral. Um, I want to move quickly to what is happening right now in venture, because obviously you work, we, we work with startups. Um, these are companies that majority of them do rely on venture capital investments. Um, what, Joe, what's, what's your view on the market right now? And have you seen any impact or have you got any feedback from the current portfolio of companies that you're working with and 
what are your expectations essentially uh, from this market in, in the months to come? I think uh, it's obviously a challenging space now for startups looking to raise investment. And indeed, it's, it's a challenging space for investors. And as a result, I think that what we've seen is that um, investors, VCs are perhaps more risk averse than they have been certainly for the past couple of years. Um, and so they're more likely to be uh, investing in follow on rounds, investing in their existing portfolio. Um, and really, that we've seen the, the effect of that um, directly, really. So what we've seen is uh, customers of ours, you know, brands that we work with that have already raised investment are perhaps doubling down on their spend with us once they recognize and see the role that out of home plays. But there are fewer new customers perhaps coming forward, new brands trialing out of home because the startups at the earlier stages of the journey are struggling to raise investment to begin with because startups, uh, sorry, investors are, are favoring investing in their existing portfolio as a safer place first. So I think that yeah, that's that's sort of a trend that we've seen translate directly into, you know, the types and stages of companies that we've seen um, coming through Nurture. But I also think it's actually a really interesting opportunity for all sorts of alternative finance. So whether that's I'm putting Nurture and our, our match spend in that bracket and also media for equity schemes out there because all startups are being challenged now more than ever to extend their runway. But at the same time, they need to demonstrate growth in an increasingly competitive uh, investment landscape. And so what we offer is an alternative route whereby, you know, we remove that barrier to entry. We provide real efficiency, cost efficiency when it comes to growth marketing and brand building through Nurture and also, as I say, the Media for Equity program. So I actually think that the, the role that Nurture plays and media for equity plays is more crucial than ever because of what's happening in the investor landscape, but also because brands need to stand out more than ever when consumers are watching their pennies more than ever. Um, so it's in my mind, it's, you know, it's, it's a challenging market right now, but I actually think it's potentially a bit of a perfect storm for um, yeah. alternative finance, if we want to call it that, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, th I think I think the way you put it, it's it's perfect. And I think it's what a program like Nurture, but also Media for Equity and other forms of financing. I mean, we've seen um, I've seen a lot of specialized um, e-commerce revenue um, kind of base financing um, specifically for this kind of companies. Um, it's almost it goes um, it's counterintuitive to what a lot of investors sort of expect uh, or ask of founders these days. Um, so in, in this current climate, most of the time, the first thing that happens, you just cut your marketing spend, you try to save cost, which is, you know, quite detrimental to your brand, especially if you actually spend quite a bit the year before trying to build that brand. Mm. Um, and what you basically what you're saying, Joe, and, and what Connie said as well earlier, it almost gives you a life vest, um, or it could potentially increase that runway, or it could even be almost a, a bridge round, if you like, um, to the next funding round um, until you you know you're able to raise but without having to do it at the detriment of your brand um, or having to cut costs right um, and I think the the potentially as well um, a lot of other companies who maybe would not explore this funding option um, you could potentially have a competitive advantage as well uh, just trying to 
um, get into a specific market category or especially during these times, in my opinion, this is when you could potentially create a new market category with the right use of media and, and advertising. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, absolutely. Anything coming up this year, anything exciting or do you have a specific target um, number of companies that you would like to work with? Um, or any specific initiatives that um, you feel like they're specifically important for people to hear that are coming up next? I think um, there's definitely some events that we're pretty excited about. Um, I think with Joe, we're going to an event um, that is mainly based around B Corps and the planet. So I think maybe, Joe, if you want to touch on that, that's a great one. Um, but otherwise, the, always our main objective is to work with the right startups at the same time, at the right time. Um, I think that's really what we want to do. Um, support them where we can support them rather than, you know, forcing it onto anyone and then later see them go out of business. So absolutely, that's our priority. Yeah, so uh, the, the event that, that Connie's touched on is, is Blue Earth Summit, which is taking place in, in Bristol in October. So we're really excited to partner with the um, the organizing team of Blue Earth Summit is basically going to be a huge summit bringing together um, like 10,000 plus influential people um, all focus on how can we sort of improve the impact that we have on our planet, um, businesses of all shapes and sizes. Um, but I guess for me, the slightly off the wall uh, uh, KPI, if you like, for this year is to try and catch as many uh, selfies of founders in front of a billboard with their business on it for the first time as possible. And uh, I, I want to see as many of those as possible because for me, that's the magic of what we do. That's actually really hard to quantify, but it is magic. And that moment is like literally what gets me out of bed in the morning, that and, a, and an 18 month old baby. But if we can capture loads of those and share those, like I think... It, you know, they, they really sort of speak for themselves, those moments, as well as the the, the sort of real metrics that Connie's touched. That would, that would probably make uh, a great material for a viral campaign itself. Uh, with uh, I can already probably think of a branded hashtag for it. Um, but yeah, that would, be, that would be a great one to watch. Um, yeah. So you, you touched on that event, and this is a perfect sort of, I guess, segue um, into this quick by a round of questions that I have prepared for both of you. Um, these are just very, very quick, like 60 second questions each. And I was actually curious and wanted to ask what kind of areas or technologies or sectors sectors it really excite you most um, and potentially you might be looking at what partnering with in, in the months to come. Maybe Joe, we can start with you or? Sure. I mean, for me, the technologies and sectors that excite me the most are um, solutions, things that are designed to improve people's mental well-being. Um, I think that that is, I think we've recognised now more than ever that looking after one's mental health is absolutely critical. Um, and I think that uh, there's going to be more and more technologies emerging, more and more brilliant startups emerging in that space. So I'm always interested in hearing, you know, uh, technological solutions in this sort of mental mental health space yeah i guess somewhat somewhat similar the beauty is that while we work with all kinds of startup scale-ups we can also you know choose the ones that we love and kind of have a chat with them and try working with them so personally i love working with femtech businesses 
um, or just female founded businesses. Um, just obviously I'm a woman and I found that super empowering and speaking to these inspiring founders, you know, really on a personal level, it's just absolutely amazing. There's so many great founders out there. Um, so yeah, I'm quite excited for that alongside just B Corps, you know, I think more and more businesses realize you can make money and run a business, but also kind of have a positive impact on, on the world, whether it's environment or, or people or quality. And, you know, we, we help those businesses grow um, and scale and hopefully by doing that, you know, make the world a little bit of a better place. So, um, yeah, it's really rewarding to work with those companies. Any big trends coming up in the world of advertising, specifically out of home? Um, and I know we touched briefly on creatives earlier, but anything else that you're looking at, measurements or use of AI or any other really cool tech um, that we should all watch? So the, the biggest development, without a doubt, in out of home is the ability to to buy and deliver out of home programmatically. And so what that means in real terms is that we can uh, dictate what plays when and where on any of our individual screens um, based on any trigger or variable. So like an example would be Starbucks running a creative which says come in out of the rain on the digital screen when it's chucking it down with rain directly outside one of their cafes. So it's really the agility of out of home and that's that's the, the opportunity that programmatic provides. And what that's enabling us to do is move further down the marketing funnel as well. So, you know, as we've mentioned a couple of times on this call, you know, there's the perception that out of home is great at building brand awareness and it is and it still does that but when you can be really reactive and implement these triggers then it can work as you know more like a pure acquisition channel as well i guess one i don't know if it's really a trend um but one thing that we keep being asked about is qr codes so i do think it's worth a mention because we get that question all the time so i think there is a real desire to connect of course connect your out of home um with your mobile screen um but we just say there needs to be a creative journey. So coming back to that creative is like, yes, QR codes can work, but only if you really give people a reason to scan it. So if it's simply a QR code to lead the consumer to your website, uh, you're better off probably just having an amazing creative of, you know, really having your brand on it strongly. Um, but I think it's a question we get all the time. So just be careful because it's not a way necessarily of measuring it. If people think how often they, you know, scan the QR code on a billboard, it's probably never or maybe once. Um, so the percentage of people who do it is just quite small, except you really give them a reason to do so. That is quite creative and enticing. Uh, the, only, the only other one I'd, I'd add, sorry, really quickly, is I guess no. um, the fact that, that cookies are due eventually to be abolished. Um, so that's going to make retargeting and targeting online even more difficult. And so I think that that actually presents an interesting opportunity for out of home um, because of its priming capabilities, which we touched on before. So I think that's going to have an impact for all offline channels, actually, um, as and when that comes into effect. In, I guess along the same lines, then, um, are there any mistakes or um, anything that you, you, you potentially feel like founders do that could be done better when they think about the way they approach branding or or they do that um you know in, inside their companies or in-house like what are essentially the biggest mistakes that you've seen these founders make um either when they work with you or when they when they come to you in the first place 
Um, I think that, I guess the, the first one that I see founders make um, from time to time is not planning media and advertising strategically, but, but, but executing on an ad hoc basis. And so what I mean by that is not necessarily thinking, right, this is where our business is now. This is where we need to get it to in six months. What role does marketing play within that? And then building a, a strategy around that instead, just thinking, okay, there's this opportunity to get some cheap inventory here. Let's go for it. Even if the creative isn't necessarily the brand identity that they want to deploy in three months time. Um, and the impact of that is first off, if you're not planning strategically, it's not necessarily aligned to your target audience or what you're trying to achieve in terms of campaign objectives, but also especially creatively, if you haven't got your creative right, the media won't perform as well as it could do. And if you go live with creative A, just because you need to get something up and out you know, within a week, and then three months down the line, you recognize creative A was poor and then start going with creative B, but they don't look and feel anything like each other, you almost may not have, you know, it's kind of pointless going live with creative A in the first place because you're starting from scratch again with building awareness and an ad recall. So I think it's think longer term, even if you're at the very beginning of your journey, think as long term as you possibly can um, rather than doing things spur of the moment because they feel, you know, like good value at the time. The last point to add, possibly, you know, going back to the all important question of budget, I think we've, and Joe touched on it earlier, that we kind of realized over time that we can't and don't want to help everyone too early because actually it's not beneficial. So I think it's being really honest from our side, what can you achieve with, with um, which budgets um, and possibly, you know, not doing out of home too early um, because realistically, if it's five or 10K in, in, in London, for example, it's really a drop in the ocean and it's not going to deliver a huge increase in website traffic or sales or whatever app downloads um depending on kind of what brand you are so yes sometimes it is better to hold off and then do a proper out-of-home test that proves the concept of what what the, the medium can do for your brand all right thank you both so much um for putting up with all the questions today and um just agreeing to do this in the first place. It was it was a real pleasure having both of you on the show. Um, and I'm sure everyone that has listened in find it really insightful. Um, thanks so much, Connie and Joe. Thanks Thank you for having, having us. us. Yeah. Cheers. Bye. As always, I really appreciate your support. You can find a full video episode on YouTube on the Media for Growth channel, or you can listen to it on Spotify, Google, or Apple Podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the Media for Growth newsletter to get all the insights from our latest shows, including the full interview script. See you next time.